have a seat. Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to be tackling verse 13 through 18. And so this is one of those powerful, powerful passages of Scripture, and we have been in the last several weeks, uh, the series, When You Have Something More. And next week, we're actually going to wrap that series up uh, uh, next week, but this week I'm excited because as we've gone through the series, the one reason I have thoroughly loved preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians, is because it's forced us to ask some really difficult questions. Maybe for all of us in the room, it's forced us to really look at some things in our life and ask the hard question and come up with an answer. For example, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul complimented this church that they truly had something more, that they truly had had a life change. In fact, in chapter 1, he talks about how their life had changed direction, how they had a, a, their, their affection had changed, how they were devoted to the Lord. Then he compliments them about how they lived a life on mission. And we were just forced to ask this question, does that sound like us? Has there really been a moment in our life where things changed for us, where we trusted Christ and everything changed. Our heart's affection and our attention changed to him. That we found a moment when we put our faith in Christ that we became devoted to the Lord. And has there been a moment where we truly are living on mission? Now, for many of you in the room, because I remember that week, for many in the room when I asked at the very end of the message, there were a lot of hands that went up and said, you know what, no, I don't have something more. I've never experienced and given my life to Christ, and no, I don't, I've never received eternal life. Therefore, I'm not living the abundant life that God has for me. So when you ask, do I have something more? Some of you would say week one, no. And if that's you today, if you look at your life and you can't see a real change in your heart and you don't know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've picked a fantastic day to be here. So hang with me to the end. But then there's many of you in the room that are followers of Christ. I mean, when I ask that question, do you know that you have something more? Do you know there's been a moment where everything changed for you, where you put your faith in Christ and everything changed? Many of you would say, yes, that is my story. I've made that decision. In my life, I do have something more. I've experienced eternal life, and I also am living out the abundant life that God has for me. Well, the last three weeks, hopefully, have been challenging to those of us that fit in that category. Because what we've talked about the last three weeks was this, that if you truly say that you have something more, it should be evident in how we live our life, shouldn't it? I mean, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, should it be evident that you follow Jesus in how you live your life? Amen? Okay, not all of you can, not all of you, can you know, like confident of that. Should it not be? It absolutely should be. Why? Because I say this every week. Because there's a lost world, and what are they doing? They're watching, they're waiting, and they're wanting. They're wanting people who claim to follow Christ to be authentic. And so we said this, if you truly have something more and you're a follower of Christ, you should have a heart for ministry. You should have a heart to invest into others. And we ask this question, are you? Are you investing in others? Do you have that kind of heart? Or is it self-centered? And then we said this the, the next week is that you know, if you truly have something more, you should have a genuine concern for others. I'm not just talking about, hey, I'll pray for you kind of thing. I'm talking about where you walk a journey with people. Remember I had Elijah come up on stage and I showed you what uh, exhorting meant. We locked arms and that's what it means to, to journey with somebody. And we asked this question, are you? Is there somebody in your life that you are truly journeying with the journey of faith? Are you? 
And then last week, Pastor Mercer was here, and he talked about this, that if you truly have something more, then there should be a deep desire in us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And are we? See, the last three weeks, if you're a believer, have been super challenging about where do you find yourself in your walk? Are you truly concerned about others? Are you truly living to please God? I mean, are you truly doing the things that God wants you to do? That leads me to today. Because today I'm excited, and, I, and this is one of those passages, in fact, I just got to tell you this, can I just share something with you, and just, well, I'm going to anyway, even if you say no. So, anything, about six weeks ago, we were talking about, Pastor Mercer and I, about when he wanted to travel, and we've talked about tweaking that from now on, and so not traveling near as much, and, and he wanted to travel this week, I said, oh no, you can't travel this week. He's like, why not this week? I said, because this is the best passage in 1 Thessalonians, and you can't take that from me. And he said, okay, I'll travel the week before. So that's why he's not here today, and he was here last week. And so because this passage, I mean, this is one of those passages that if you're a believer, man, this should light you up today. Because there's something as a believer that we have that a lost world does not have. Do you know what it is? Hope. Right? As a believer and a follower of Christ, we have something a lost world does not have, and it's hope. Now, here's what I mean by hope. Something that we can look forward to that's going to happen down the road that motivates how I live this life right now. That's hope. We have something as believers that we look forward to that's coming down the pike that should motivate how we live this life right now. Now, what is a thing that should motivate how we live? It's our hope in the Lord's what? return. He's coming again. Did you know that? Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that. In fact, next week, our whole message is about living in light of the return of Christ, and I'm so excited about that one too. But when you talk about the Lord's return, I need to take a little bit of a derailment for just a minute. And so there's some of you that are academics, academicians in the room that, that you think academically and intellectually. And I, I want you to kind of hang with me for a moment. And then there's those of you that I'm about to blow your mind. You're like, oh my gosh, well hang with me. It's only going to last about two minutes. But when you think about the return of Christ, there are a lot of things people think about. In fact, when you talk about the return of Christ with me, immediately my mind goes to timelines about how everything's going to unfold in the light of the return of Christ. In fact, there are two primary belief systems about the return of Christ. Now, I say two, there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a ton of them, actually. But there are two that most conservative evangelicals ascribe to. One of them is called pre-tribulation rapture, and I'll explain that in a minute. And then the other one is post-rapture or post-tribulation rapture. Rapture. Now let me tell you what they mean a little bit, just so we're on the same page. Some people believe that there's going to be a moment in time when Jesus is going to come and he's going to take the church out, the rapture, and then there's a seven-year period of tribulation, and then after that, at the battle at the battle of Armageddon, that Jesus is going to return again, and then we continue on up into eternity. Then there's a group of people going, no, 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 the church is going to go through the seven-year period of tribulation, and the return of Christ and the rapture is a simultaneous event that happens after the tribulation, and then we go off into eternity. Now, during this time, and both of them position the rapture differently, but the one thing they both have in common is there's a seven-year period of tribulation. Now, if you don't, I don't want you to think I'm making this up, so you can read your Bibles. Revelation chapter 6 through 16 talks about the seven-year period. And here's some of the things that happen. There's war, there's famine, there's death, there's earthquakes. A third of the fish are killed, rivers are poisoned, the sea and rivers turn to blood. I mean, there's darkness all over the earth. And during this time, there's a rise of the singular Antichrist, the one who comes that eventually, at the last half of the seven years, will claim that they are the one, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. And then that's where we see the whole mark of the beast thing show up. 
Now, in the first three and a half years of this tribulation period, it's bad. But the last three and a half years literally are hell on earth. I mean, it's God pouring his wrath out on this earth. So you read things about seals being broken, bowls being poured out, and trumpets being blared. And that's the two primary beliefs. Now, some of you in the room, immediately, here's where you gravitate. I'm not a pre-trib. I'm not a post-trib. I'm a pan-trib. You know what a pan-trib is, right? I'm going to live my life loving Jesus, and he's going to pan everything out in the end, right? Now, here's the reason I bring all this up. Are we going there? Absolutely not. Because I don't want your mind to do what my mind does. Go, oh, how's this thing going to unfold? I mean, I could, I could show you. Di- I, I love diagrams. Anybody like diagrams and charts? I love that stuff. And I, I thought about having up here, but I thought that would be bore all of you but me. And so I thought, you know, I don't want your mind to go there. I do not want your mind to go there. Okay? I, I don't want to go there. But what I do want us to do this morning is not think about how things unfold, but to let our minds revolve around and get wrapped up in the fact that Jesus is coming again. I don't want you to get wrapped up in the how of it or the semantics of it. I want us as believers and people today just to get so immersed in the fact that our Savior is coming again. He really is. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming again. Oh, come on. Tell him, say, Jesus is coming again. And now ask him, are you ready? Are you ready? That's a whole different question, right? Like, oh, I don't know. Now listen to me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's take that off the screen there, Thomas. That's not supposed to be there yet. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. And I want us to read 13 through 18, okay? And then we're just going to jump into this. Paul speaking to the church of Thessalonica says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, this phrase is sleep. You're going to read it a lot in Scripture. It's talking about those who are dead, those who have gone on and died, okay? That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for this. May we be encouraged by these words today, and may you invade our lives and our hearts and teach us something this morning. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Now, I want to go back to verse 13 just for a moment. Because this is super important. And look, we're, we're just going to get thick into it today, all right? So in chapter, thir- chapter 4, verse 13, I want you to look there again. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, he's reminding the Thessalonica church, you have something a lost world doesn't have. What do we have that a lost world doesn't have? Hope, right? Now, the interesting thing is this. Paul, all throughout the book of Thessalonians, drops lines and suggestions about the return of Christ. But obviously, right here in this part of the passage, Paul's addressing two primary questions that the church of Thessalonica have, and he's going to address them. Here's one of the questions. If Jesus is coming again, what about those who have already died? Those that are already died, I mean, what about those? Are they going to miss out on this resurrection? 
That's one question. The second question is this. What about those of us that are still here? When Jesus comes again, what's going to happen to those of us that are still alive in that moment? And so what Paul does is Paul gives us an unbelievable amount of clarity about this hope that we have. And there's four truths that Paul shared that I want to share. The first one is this. There will be, everybody say this to me, there will be a return. It's going to happen. Look with me in verse 14 and 16. There will be a return. Verse 14 and 16 says this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through God, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The point of what Paul is saying is there's going to come a moment when Jesus is going to come again. The one who came once as a baby in a manger, who lived a perfect sinless life, who went to a cross and died on a cross and was put into a borrowed tomb and rose again from the grave three days later, who appeared and preached to his disciples, gave a great commission, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on your and I's behalf. One day, that guy, he's coming again. He's coming again. And this time when he comes, he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as a righteous judge. But he's coming again. And Paul wants to drill down to this church. You just need to know there will be a return. There will be a return. Jesus is coming again. Now, this wasn't new information. In fact, in John chapter 14, it's one of my favorite passages, John 13 and 14. Because in John 13, Jesus has the disciples at the very last moments of his life and they're meeting in the upper room. And Jesus in 13, he washes their feet. And then he begins to talk about the fact that he's going to have to die. And they're all distraught. And then John chapter 14, here's what Jesus says. Let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God? Also believe in me. Because I'm going to go, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus told his early disciples, listen, there's going to come a day where I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be gone. But I'm not just going to be up there twiddling my thumbs. I'm building, I'm building rooms on my mansion, and I'm creating a place for all of you. I'm creating a place for those of you that love me and follow me so that when I come again, I may receive you to myself that where I am, heaven, for all eternity, you may be also. So this wasn't new information. He is coming again. But I want you to notice what Paul says accompanies the return of Christ. Look at me in verse 16 again. He says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I don't want you to miss this, and I wish there was a way that we, through cinematography, could create a moment that we could get the full totality of the event that's about to happen here. Because when you read it, let's just be honest, it doesn't just pop like it should pop. But I want you to think about it for just a moment. There's going to be a moment when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God the Father, looks to the Son and goes, it's time. And he's going to descend from heaven. And at his descension, at his return, there are three sounds that Paul says is going to happen. Here's the first sound. It's the cry of a command. Actually, in the Greek, it translates a thunderous shout. That's what it says. A thunderous shout. And he's going to come. Now, the reason shout literally in the Greek means a command that demands attention. 
A command that demands an attention. It's almost a military term. In fact, when, when, when a general walks in and they say, Tin Hut, what happens to all the people that are standing there, all those soldiers? What happens? Do they stand at ease? Do they just kind of twiddle their thumbs? What happens, my veterans? What happens? You stand at attention. Now, please hear me. There's going to be a moment that when Jesus comes, there's going to be a shout. I don't know who's shouting, but there's going to be a shout. And in that shout, it's going to call all people to be at attention. Why? Because the king has come. It's almost that idea that we see in John 11, another amazing passage. You remember when Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus? Did Jesus say, Lazarus, hey, buddy, come on out of that tomb? Is that what he said? And then there was a series out not long ago called the Bible Series, which I loved, except they totally screwed this one up. They had Jesus going into the grave and kissing Lazarus on the head and telling him to get up. No, no. What happened when Jesus stood outside the tomb? What happened? Did he just kind of beckon Lazarus to come up, or what happened? Do you think it was a casual conversation? Do you think it was a monotone, or do you think it was a shout from the Jesus of Nazareth? I think it was a shout. I think he said, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came forth. Listen, at the moment Jesus returned, Paul says, there's going to be a shout. And it's not going to be a shout like you've ever heard before. It's going to be a thunderous shout. And he said, then there's going to be a second sound and the voice of an archangel. Now, we don't know which archangel it is. But listen, when you see angels in Scripture, primarily there's one thing that they do, and that's announce. Right? Do you remember when the angel appeared to Mary? And she says, hey, Mary, guess what? You're going to have the Son of God, and you're going to call him Jesus. That was an announcement. What about the angel that appeared to Joseph, right? I mean, that would really freak you out, right? Hey, your, your woman Mary, the one you're engaged to, she's with child, and it's nobody else's. It's God's child. It's the Son of God. I mean, he announced the arrival of the Savior. And then what about the shepherds out in the field watching the flock by night? Do you remember when the angels appeared to them and says, hey, we bring you good news of great joy that's for everybody, Angels showed up to announce, and most scholars believe that when it says the voice of an archangel, it's an archangel announcing the arrival of the king. Have you ever watched those movies when a king shows up and they declare the presence of the king and everyone stands in attention or everyone kneels or everyone standing just totally postured correct? You've seen those movies? It's that imagery. There's going to be a shout And there's going to be a voice of an archangel. And then there's going to be the trumpet of God. Now, not the trumpets you and I play, the kind of trumpets that we, if you ever ever practice, my sister played a clarinet. And when she would miss a note, it would be painful. I mean, it was like the most painful squealing that, that attacked the very fibers of my being. I'm talking about a trumpet that disrupts sound. I'm talking about a trumpet that shakes the earth kind of trumpet. That's what I'm talking about. And he said, there's going to be a trumpet of God. Now, in the Old Testament, trumpets were used to assemble the people. They would blow a trumpet to assemble the people. Listen, this trumpet sound is not to assemble people. It's to rise the dead. It's to assemble those who've died and gone on. Now, listen to me. Here's what I don't want you to miss. That when Jesus comes again at his return, there's going to be a shout that is so thunderous that's going to awaken the dead. There's going to be a voice of an archangel that's going to announce his arrival, and there's going to be a trumpet of God that calls the assembly of the living and the dead together. Now, to give clarity, listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, 
but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last what? At the last what? At the last what? Trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead and Christ will be raised and perishable, and we too shall be changed. Paul's just saying, listen, when Je- I love this because he's saying, when Jesus comes back, it's not quiet. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be insignificant. When Jesus comes back, the world will know the King of kings and the Lord of lords has stepped onto his stage. The world will know it. Why? Because there's a shout. There's a voice of an archangel. And there's the trumpet of God calling everyone to the assembly before Jesus. Man, can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment when Jesus shows up and all that noise now, I'm just going to tell you, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this will be a glorious moment, won't it? This will be one of those moments that just we can't imagine. Now, why is Paul making this such a big deal? And why am I making it such a big deal? Because I believe this. This church of Thessalonica, a young church, persecuted church, wrapped up in the situations and circumstances of life, need to be reminded of their hope. And their hope wasn't about a weak Savior who was coming. It's about a powerful, thunderous shout that was going to happen. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to descend. And he is coming for his church. I think they need to be reminded of that. Can I just say this? I think we need to be reminded of that. Life is hard. And situations are hard. But my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is not in my situation. My hope is in the fact that Jesus is coming for me one day, and I need to live my life now in light of what he's going to do one day. Amen? Second thing, second truth I want to drill down is this. There will be not only a return, there will be a resurrection. Now, we're going to go back to those same two verses, but this is important here because in this, in this point, Paul's addressing the first question. What happens to those who have died before Jesus returns? Do they just miss out? And so look back with me in verse 14. There's there's two things in his return I want to notice. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, asleep means those that are dead. So the first thing we notice here is that Jesus, when, when he returns, those that have died, here's what happens first of all, this resurrection. Jesus will bring the souls of those who are dead. Now, let me just kind of backtrack. When we die, let me tell you what happens. When we die, our bodies go where? Come on, that's not a trick question. <laughs> where does our bodies go? In the ground. Where do our souls go? To heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies to be what? Present with the Lord. Where my physical body is in the ground, but my soul is in the presence of of my Savior. And when Jesus comes again, there's going to be a resurrection. The first thing that's going to happen is he's going to bring the souls of all those who've died before. He's going to bring them with him. Then look at verse 16. It says this. He says, and the trumpet sound, and the cry of a command with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet sound of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What needs to be risen? That which is in the ground, right? Are you with me on this today? What's in the ground needs to be risen, not what's being brought down. So what is he talking about here? That when the moment that Jesus returns, there's going to be a resurrection. He's going to bring the souls of those who have died before that had faith in him. And the resurrection, he's going to resurrect the bodies of those that are in the ground. And they're going to meet. 
And those bodies are going to be given a glorified body. Not a body that's going to perish, but a body that's imperishable. Not a mortal body, but a body of immortality. And the souls in heaven and the bodies in the ground are going to come together for a glorified body. There will be a resurrection. That's what happens. Because I want you to know, at his return, there's going to be this powerful resurrection. Look with me in verse uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again, verse 52. It says, for when the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed meaning the souls will meet the bodies and they will be equipped for all eternity did you know that when we die and eventually we he comes back for us or we are resurrect whatever it is do you know that our bodies will be equipped for all eternity they will be, be given bodies that will last for all eternity aren't you glad the body you have right now is not made for all eternity i don't know about you when i hit 40 everything hurt right i mean it's all hurts but I'm given a new body, right? He says, there will be a resurrection. Listen, this is only for believers who have died. This resurrection is only for believers who have died. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the hope we have. In fact, last night I was thinking about this point, that there will be a resurrection. And I was thinking about those that I know that have died and have gone on. And that there's going to be a moment when Jesus comes, when that shout happens, and that archangel mentions his name and, and calls him name, and the trumpet sounds, that when Jesus comes, there's going to be the souls coming from heaven, and the, 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 uh, the, the ground is going to shake, and the, the graves are going to open, and these decaying, decrepit bodies are going to come and meet their souls, and they're going to be equipped with the glorified body for all eternity. I'm thinking about all the people I know that have gone on, and thinking, man, that's hope, isn't it? That's good news, isn't it? You know, I was thinking about the other day, my dad has been gone about two and a half years. My dad and I were close. I, I could tell you some stories about my dad and, and how God orchestrates some things in my life, but I actually had the privilege of baptizing my dad about nine years ago, or ten years ago. And my dad, I think my dad would read the Bible four and five hours a day. And I would say, Dad, why are you reading it four or five hours a day? He said, man, I'm just making it for lost time. Because it was about 30 years of his life that he was in rebellion toward God. You know, just the other day, I had something happen in the house. I thought I need to call my dad. I can't. But that's what gives me hope. There's going to come a day that Jesus is going to bring the soul of my dad down and going to resurrect his body from the grave, and he's going to quit my dad for all eternity. And that's true of everyone who's died who has faith in Christ. And then knows there's going to be a return. Knows there's going to be a resurrection. But thirdly, and this is so important for us today, there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a rapture. Look with me in verse 17. If you're with me this morning, say, I got you, Doug. Man, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Amen. Verse 17 says this. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Underline that phrase, caught up. Caught up together with them and the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with him always and be always with the Lord. There's not only going to be a return of Christ, and at that return, there's going to be a resurrection. Those who have died on before, their bodies are going to be raised, and they're going to be resurrected to a glorified body. That's about those who have died. Then he's answering the second question here. What about those who are alive? Well, there will be a rapture for us. In fact, the word caught, the phrase caught up is actually the phrase harpazo in the Greek, and it means a strong, violent act of snatching. That's what it means. A strong Violent, it's, it's the idea of seizing something for yourself. Here's what that means. That when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ are raised and there's a resurrection, that next he's going to snatch all of us who are followers of him that are alive on this earth. He's coming after us. He's coming for us. And he's going to bring us to himself. 
And when he does, there's going to be a change happen. Listen to this. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 says this. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable body puts on imperishable, and the mortal body puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. In other words, at the moment that we are raptured as believers, we are given a body of immortality. At that moment, when that happens, when the resurrection of the dead happens, and when the rapture of the church happens, and we're all given a glorified body, here's what we're able to say. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks, read this with me, but you don't end up there. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But thanks be to God for the victory that we have because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? And there's going to be a rapture. And for those of us that are alive in that moment, we are going to be changed. So I just want you to know, as you think about the truth of his return, there is a return. There really is a resurrection. There is a rapture, but here's the best part. There is a reuniting. Look at me in verse 17 again. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with who? Now let's look at that. We will always be with who? Well, how long is always? It's eternity. Now, please hear me. In the moment that Jesus returns, and wouldn't it be awesome to happen right now? Because I could shut up and we just put our attention on him, right? I mean, just like, I mean, wouldn't it be, I mean, we don't know the day or the hour. But here's what we do know. He is coming again. He promises that. And when he comes, those that have died, he's going to bring their souls, reunite them with the body, make it glorified, and equip them for all eternity. And we also know this, that for those of us that are living, there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a harpazo. He's going to snatch us up. Why? Because Jesus loves his bride, and he's coming for us. And in that moment, for the resurrection of the dead and for the raptured saints who are alive, there's going to be a reuniting. Now listen, we will see Jesus, Right? We will see him face to face. And we can touch him, and we can embrace him, and we can thank him. I mean, I, there's, there's nights and, that I just stay up going, what's it going to be like when I meet him? And so what I, you know what I do? This, this is me being geeked out. You know what I do? I, I just turn to Revelation 1. I just turn to Revelation 1 when I struggle with this and want to know. Because in Revelation 1, John gives a description of Jesus, of a Jesus that when he sees, when he stepped into the heavenlies, the Jesus that he saw. And so I just go to Revelation 1, and I just start reading all this stuff about that Jesus and, and how, how the, what he's going to look like and how he turns and is the son of God. I mean, there's just moments that I just pause and go, what's it going to be like? But here's what I know. No matter what it's like when I see him, I will always be with him. That's good news. Amen? Now, I know for some of you in the room today, you're going, okay, this is great info. It's, I didn't know some of this, but Doug, why in the world does this matter to me today? Look at me in verse 18 as we close. It's this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This message, do I hope it fires you up? Man, I do. 
And if not, your wood's probably wet, right? If you're not fired up, I mean, you're, I mean, something's just not, I mean, when you think about the fact he is coming, he's coming for me, and there's going to be a resurrection and a rapture, and when, I, when he comes, I will see him, I will hold him, I will embrace him, and I will see my Savior. I mean, there's something about that should fire us up, really. But you know what also? It should also be something that encourages us. Because you know what Paul knew? We all go through struggles. We all go through difficulties. Can we just be honest today and say the world is tough, isn't it? The world we live in, man. Sometimes don't you just feel like you're attacked from every angle? Don't you feel like when it falls apart, it all falls apart? I mean, there's and I shared this with somebody this week. Uh, one of my favorite passages, I, I say that a lot, I guess because all of them are my favorite, but one of my favorite Old Testament passages is in Psalm 73. You can go home and read it later. But at the very beginning of Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Surely God is good to those in Israel who are pure in heart. Meaning, surely God's going to bless those who love him. That's what it means. And then this psalm just spends like the next 20 verses going, but when I look at the world, what I see is the prosperity of the world. It's the wicked that are prospering. I'm not. I'm being afflicted. I'm going through persecution. I'm going through difficult times. I mean, my world's falling apart. So when I look at the world, well, I think God should bless those who love him. I love him, but my world's falling apart. It's the wicked who are prospering. Then at the very end of Psalm 73, he wakes up and he says, God, I was a brute beast before you. I was wrong. What I discovered is that real success is being in a relationship with you. He says, you hold me by my right hand. And I'm just telling you. This is good for us today because it's words that should encourage us. It should encourage us that when life hits hard, that we have hope and a hope that Jesus is coming again. And I'm just going to tell you, this is only going to be good news to those of you who are ready. To those of you that truly know Christ as your Savior. And so if you're here today and you say, Doug, I'm a follower of Jesus, I truly do have something more. Here's my invitation for you today. Maybe you just want to come to this altar on these rugs and your knees and pray and say, Lord, forgive me for when I have made the circumstance of my life cause me to forget the hope I have in you. Lord, I've let life knock me down. But thank you for reminding me the hope that I have, that you're coming for me. You love me. And now you're coming for me, but you're going to embrace me, and I'm going to get to spend all of eternity with you? Thank you, Lord. And maybe you just need to do that. Or maybe you're a believer here today, and as we sing in a moment, you just need to worship. You just need to get alone in your mind and get mentally away from those around you and just declare that God is good and thankful that today in the world that is crazy and chaotic and wicked and evil, that we are reminded today that Jesus loves us and he's coming for us. He's coming for his bride and his church. And Lord, I just thank you for that. But let me just say this. There are also some of you in the room today that maybe you don't know Christ. And I just want to tell you this. His return will not be a glorious moment for you. It will not. It will be a moment of missing out. But I'm telling you, you can be ready for that moment. All it takes is you surrendering your life to Christ. You saying that I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus died for me, and I want to surrender my life to him. But there's maybe some of you in the room today, and you're not ready. If Jesus were to split those guys right now and return it, all that stuff happened that I mentioned, you'd miss out. Look at me, look at me. You don't have to miss out. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'll wait till next week. You're not guaranteed the next breath.
And maybe right now what you need to do is just say, I need to give my life to Christ. If you're going to ask you, everybody just stand with me if you would. Everybody just stand with me. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye to be closed. Just stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want you to know this, if you're a believer in the room, if you, if you truly have something more, man, I hope today your, fi- your fire just got lit. I hope today as you thought about what Jesus has done for you and what he's going to be doing for you and how he's coming again and that there's going to be a return and a resurrection and a rapture, but the greatest of all, there's going to be a reuniting where you get to see him face to face. I pray that that would excite you today and that you would make a decision today as a believer that you're going to live your life with urgency and passion in light of the fact that he is coming again one day. That you would quit putting off sharing your faith with your neighbor till tomorrow because they may not have tomorrow. And maybe what you need to do if you're a follower of Christ is come to this altar and just, just confess to him. Just confess that you've been casual about your faith or just confess you've let the world and the circumstance of the world distract you, but today you want to put your hope back on what the hope should be. And that's that Jesus loves us and he's coming for us. So if you're believers, as soon as we hit that first note and you want to come pray, please do so. But if you're here today, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and say, you know what, Doug, I don't think I'm ready. If Jesus came right now, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think that I have a relationship with him. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hands up right now and just put them right back down. Just up and back down. That's awesome. Up and back down. Up and back down. Yeah. Don't leave today not knowing. And I'm going to pray. And as soon as I said amen, I'm going to be standing on this front row singing. And I would love for you to talk to me. I'd love for you to say, Doug, I need to be ready. Or before you leave today, Doug, I need to be ready. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be caught not knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for what Paul communicates to this church. It's truth that we need to know, that the truth that you are coming again, that Jesus is coming back. And that when he comes, and there's going to be such a glorious moment, a moment where there's a shout, and trumpets are blaring, the archangel speaking, and those who have died will be resurrected, and those that are living, we will be raptured, and we will be reunited with you and with them in the air. God, what a moment. And I pray for believers today that that would be a moment we would celebrate now and live our life with urgency and passion for that moment that is to come. God, so forgive us where we've not done that. Forgive us when we become lazy and sharing our faith. And may we confess that to you today. God, I pray for those that slipped their hand up a while ago saying they're not ready. May they not leave today until they know for sure. May they find myself on one of these adult leaders and just say, I need to know Christ today. Lord, be with us. May your Holy Spirit have his way in this moment. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask if... if uh, Don and Terry and Tim and Randy and if your wives are here, just kind of find your way to the sides of the room and maybe you just need prayer today. So deacons, if you just go ahead and slide to the rooms, the sides of the rooms, I'd appreciate that. And maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you need to come to the altar or maybe you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Please don't leave this room until you've been faithful to respond the way he wants you to. Let's worship together.